In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Go to Salam Your Arabic is better than mine. It really is a blessed day because we are starting the new year tomorrow. So I give props to you for being here tonight. For those of you that attend Vespers and are sticking around for this meeting. So good for you that you're not somewhere else. So I thank you, Yanni, that you're here, that you're forced to listen to me. Um, as Abuna said, my assignment to, tonight is to begin the talk on the book of uh, the Epistle to the Philippians. So we're just going to cover chapter 1 today. So I don't know if you have your Bibles on your phone. If we can take it out, where are we going to find the Epistle to the Philippians? Old Testament or New Testament? New Testament. Before or after the Gospels? After the Gospels. Um, so find for me St. Paul's Epistle to the Philippians. Um, because we will start reading through. I'll try not to get bogged down by every single verse. Because we can be here for days talking about just one chapter. So we just want to go over kind of the gist. But I do want to give you a framework before we begin dissecting this first chapter. Keep in mind that St. Paul was imprisoned. And that's when he wrote this epistle to the Philippians. Who were the Philippians? They were the Christians in the city of Philippi. Does that make sense? Philippi was named after Philip. Does that still make sense? Philip is the father of Alexander the Great. So that's the city. And these, it's a small Christian community, but they were very fond of St. Paul after he had visited them. When St. Paul was in the, in the city, and by the way, he wasn't going to go there initially. St. Paul actually was on his way to somewhere in Asia until a vision came to him in a dream where a man from Macedonia said to him, Paul, please come to us. Come to our city in Macedonia. He woke up and he saw it as a prophecy that God was calling him to the city. And that's where he went. Um, and Macedonia is present day Greece, Bulgaria, if you know your geography. I'm terrible at geography. But around that area. Um, he went. He had Silas with him. He had some of the other disciples with him. Um, and he started to establish the community there. And he would preach first to the Jewish people, and then he would open up to the Gentiles. And there was a woman there, maybe you heard of her. Her name is Lydia. She was the one who was uh, selling the purple garments, really expensive material, fabric that she was making. Uh, she became a true believer, and she followed Paul, and she and her family... Uh, were baptized. And during this time, when St. Paul was in the city of Philippi, there was uh, a young lady who became a slave. Um, not just a slave, but she was possessed by a devil and she was prophesying in her possession. She was shrieking, she was shouting all the time and kind of foretelling the future through the devil. And so her owners would use her to make money. You know, people paid to know their future through this poor young lady 
who was possessed by the devil. So she would go around, by the way, following St. Paul and his disciples, shrieking. Here they are trying to preach Christianity, and she's screaming her head off. Until finally, St. Paul and another disciple looked at her and said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, come out of her. And what happened? The devil came out by the power of God and she became a normal person. She probably fell to the floor. What do you think her owners were thinking after that? You took away our livelihood. She was our source of income. We're making money off of this girl and now you've, look what you've done. So they, dra they dragged Paul and Silas to the magistrate or the emperor, or the ruler, whoever, and they told him what, what they had done. And they were beaten and they were flogged. They were stripped down and they were put in jail and they were shacked, shacked up to the, you know, the metal. So they couldn't go anywhere. Guess what they started to do when they were in jail? Cursing God, cursing the world, cursing that they were born, right? Uh-uh. What are they doing? Praising God. They were singing hymns. Who does that? That's so awesome when I read it. I can't imagine. To the point where one day there was an earthquake that happened. In jail, the lights turned off. The shackles broke. The doors of the prison were opened. The other jailers... The, the others that were jailed probably fled. The, the jailer, the guy, the guard was scared, thinking, oh my God, what happened here? People escaped. I'm going to be killed because this was my responsibility. He actually considered suicide. But St. Paul called out in the dark and said, don't, don't worry, don't worry, we're still here. We're still here. We're not going anywhere. The guard took a deep breath. And he went to St. Paul, he turned on the lights, St. Paul and Silas, and they began to talk. And he was asking Paul questions like, where do you get your peace from? What were those praises that you were singing? They converted this jailer to Christianity and he was baptized. Anyway, in the end, they were released, Paul and Silas. Um, and they went their merry little way. I'm uh, just giving you a little background of their encounter in Philippi. After that, St. Paul, on another occasion, left to Rome. And there in Rome, he was imprisoned again for another reason. And that's where he wrote the epistle to the Philippians. Okay, you with me? So he started out with the Philippians, made a nice community there. They loved him. And they loved his preaching and many were converted. And then he went to Rome. He got imprisoned again. And from there he wrote the prison letters. What are the prison letters? Number one, Philippians. Another one, Colossians. Another one, Ephesians. And another one to Philemon. Those are the prison epistles. He wrote from jail. Now let's see what he wrote to the Philippians. You ready? You have your Bibles? Everyone found Philippians? Who can read the first two verses for me in chapter one? Just the first two verses. And I promise we'll go more quickly than that. I think there's about 30 of them altogether, right? 30 verses or something like that. 
30. Okay, yes, sir, you want to read it? Please, the first two. Thank you. You know, in other epistles, St. Paul calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. Who was called to be an apostle of Christ. You, you know it. You've heard it. When we read the Pauline, uh, you know, in the liturgy. In this case, he doesn't call himself. He doesn't give himself the apostolic rank. He says, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. Why doesn't he give himself rank? I'll tell you why. Because I just told you five minutes ago that... He had an endearing relationship with this community. He didn't have to place his rank. They loved him so much that his word is credible. So he calls himself a slave of Jesus Christ. Not just that. He says Paul and Timothy, because Timothy actually went to visit him in Rome. But who wrote the epistle? St. Paul wrote it. Why is he giving credit to Timothy? Out of his humility. Right? He could have been the sole author of this letter and just said, I, Paul, blah, blah, blah. No. Paul and Timothy. The reason I bring this up is these are lessons to all of us. Just because we're in a position of rank, it doesn't mean we have to flaunt it. Just because we're in a position of publication, it doesn't mean that we have to have our name in lights. We can give credit to other people too, even if they did very little. It's always good to defer to others. That's the Christian way. He says a slave of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he serves the Lord unconditionally, no matter, no matter what. No matter what comes his way, his priority is to serve Christ and to be a missionary for his teaching. So he gives credit to Timothy. And then he says grace and peace. What a beautiful introduction to a letter. Peace and grace. Have you heard that before? It's not just, you know, for some people when they say peace and grace, it's, it's a hello. You know, when you say something to someone, salam, salam. You're saying hi to him. But when it comes from the mouth of St. Paul and he says peace, he's imparting the peace of Christ to you. And when he says grace, He's giving you the grace of God. It's not just, hi, how are you? So it's kind of an, a prayerful invocation to this community that he's writing. Okay, can I have someone read verses 3 through 8? Good reader, good reader, or not so good reader too. 3 through 8. Are you volunteering? <laughs> you want to read? Thank you. 
Okay, so starting from verse 3, he says, I thank my God. Here's a man who's in prison, and now he's giving thanks to God. Why do you think the church starts every service with the prayer of thanksgiving? Because we model after a perfect Christian model like St. Paul, who's giving thanks to God even in suffering. It's a lesson to all of us. Are we able to lift our hearts and eyes to God and say to Him, thank you for allowing me to suffer this trial because I know in the end it's for my good. Are we able to say that as Christians or is that hard? We end up mumbling and complaining and offering a stench to God. A stench is a foul odor rather than a sweet-smelling offering, which is an offering of praise, an offering of thanksgiving, an offering. So He gives thanks to God. And look at that word in verse 4. Always in my every supplication for you all, making supplication with what? With joy. As Abuna Yohanna just told us earlier, this is an epistle of joy. If I were to summarize it for you in one word, that would be it. So, joy even in distress, joy even in suffering, Joy even in imprisonment. We are filled with the love and joy of Jesus Christ. In view of your sharing the preaching of the gospel until now, he is commending them because as a community, he taught them well. How? Because they are sharing the gospel with people. And so he's happy that even though he's far from them and isolated, they are continuing his service. They are preaching the word of God. And that's... That's a sign of success in your service, if any of you are, are servants. What indicates a successful service is after you step down from the service, that it continues. Not that the people that you serve say, well, Uncle John stepped down, so I'm not going to come anymore. Or Abuna Yohanna is such an awesome priest and he's not serving this, this parish anymore, so I'm not going to come. That's not a sign of success. But if the service continues despite your absence, then you did good. Properly, I should say, you did well, right? Grammatically, the correct, you did well. Okay. This Christian community in Philippi, they were full of zeal. And they did what they needed to do. There wasn't this apathy that we see today among young people. Uh, we can be swayed one way or the other. We're not firm in our commitment. Who is it that we commemorate on the second day of the Coptic New Year? So tomorrow is the first day. Who do we commemorate on the second day of the Coptic New Year? The martyrdom of St. John. Who? Which St. John? Who was martyred? The Baptist. St. John the Baptist, because he epitomized service, missionary work, martyrdom, saintlyhood, humility, father, he was a priest and the son of a priest. He captured it all. But we remember him in the beginning of the Coptic New Year because number one, he was a martyr, but also his work was diligent. He wasn't swayed left or right like a tree that swings in the wind. He was direct in his mission. And that's the way these Christians in Philippi were. 
They weren't half-half. They were really zealous in their love for Christ and wanting to share that. Okay, moving on. want to get into the important the important points. Okay, can I have someone read 9 10 11? Anyone interested in reading 9 10 11? This one? No? Julie, you want to read? But your love may abound more and more, but in real knowledge and all discernment. What's he saying here? In real knowledge, just not just regular knowledge. What is meant by real knowledge? It means a deep and intimate knowledge in Christ. And discernment means you have to be aware of what's your surroundings. What are, what's around you? What's the threat to Christianity? What can bring down the word? How can you still present Christ to people despite the barriers? You have to be discerning. And if someone is going to dialogue with you and you know it's not going to go anywhere, or you actually might be swayed by him, then don't waste your time. But if you know that you can present a conviction to someone whose heart is open to receive the Christ, then go for it. Jump on it. That requires a little wisdom from the Holy Spirit that you're able to do that. And at your age, because you guys are young adults, you should begin to formulate a plan now as to what happens when you're on campus, for example. Do you have these kinds of discussions with your cohorts? Do you have these opportunities? Like if you have friends from outside the church on campus that begin to talk to you about God or not God or other faiths, are you able to defend yours? Ask yourself that question. And if you aren't, why? Is it because you're not convicted in your faith? Or is it because you don't have enough knowledge in the faith? Or because you can't discern between our Christianity and what others might call Christianity, where they, they actually might be a cult? So there has to be some discernment to know who your audience is and how much you've received. That there is sincere and unoffending to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, the glory of the praise of God. I wonder, because there are some people who look to preach the word, but for different reasons. They have ulterior motives. What is your motive for preaching Christianity? If it came to that, is it because you like to get the last word? Or is it because you care about the salvation of others? Is it because you want people to praise your eloquence? Or is it because you care about the salvation of others? So sometimes people enter the service for the wrong reason. Because I can call myself a servant. And even though we try to teach you that a servant is one who washes the feet of his others around him, People still think about a servant as this big title. 
and they chase after it and they think there's honor in it. What is your motive for being a servant? I know some of you are servants. What is your motivation? What gain is there for being in the service? Is it popularity? Is it praise? Is it attention of the people? Is it status? So St. Paul's warning the Philippians against some others who are preaching the word for a different reason, because they want to gain status in the community. He says, Still, steer clear from these guys, because you have to know the difference. So he says, be discerning, both able to both approve and embrace what's morally excellent, but to denounce what's objectionable. So sometimes we are going to be encountered by things that are objectionable to God. What are some of those things? I don't even think I have to name them because we hear about them every day. Yes? Abortion is objectionable. LGBTQ plus is objectionable before God. These are things that we encounter today. But we live in an age of tolerance. So what does that mean? Oh, that's okay. Well, okay meaning we can still receive them in the church. And we can try to rehabilitate them. We can try to educate them in what's right. But not okay in that we approve of their lifestyle. Nor do we approve of any kind of abortion at whatever age the fetus is. So there will be some things that we have to stand up to in our service. And that's what St. Paul kind of was warning them about. Okay. Can I have someone read 12 through 18? We're getting through here, but I need a good reader. 12 through 18. You're looking at me. That means you're, you're thinking about it? Go for it. He's telling the Philippians, don't mourn for me because I am isolated in prison. His imprisonment is not something necessarily bad, he says. It's something that's it's good. It's a reason to rejoice, actually, he says. Because number one, he's sharing in the suffering of Christ. But number two, they also can advance in their faith and their preaching. Um, so his imprisonment does not mean a setback in the service. He says, or he means... The church is a militant church. What does is, what is the word militant come from? Military. What does the, someone in the military do? He marches forward. He keeps going, man. He struggles. He's a soldier. We're soldiers for Christ. Right? We have the militant church on earth, and we have which church in heaven? Which one? 
the victorious. The victorious church in heaven, the militant church on earth, one church. There's a connection between the two. He mentions this Praetorian guard. What's a Praetorian guard? Did you see that there in 13? Praetorian guard. Well, the Praetorian guard, they were an elite group of soldiers that were selected to guard or like be a bodyguard for the emperor. And they were to guard these prisoners at all times. And they would take shifts and they would shackle the imprisoned to them. So St. Paul was shackled to one of the guards, one of these elite guards. Well, guess what? Guess what happened to the guards? Think about it. If, I, if I'm shackled to this guard for, let's say, I don't know, 16 hours, and then he changes shift and another guard comes and takes his place for another 16 hours, whatever. Don't you think I have a captive audience? He can't go anywhere. We're shackled together. So guess what happened to the Praetorian guards? They heard St. Paul's preaching and many of them converted. And we talk about how great St. Paul was in converting nations to Christianity. He converted the guards. Not just that, but these guards were gossiping among each other about this Paul guy and what he had to preach. That's how Christianity was spreading, even amongst this elite group. So, that's why he mentions the Praetorian Guard. Uh, become confident in the law, abundantly daring to speak the word fearlessly. Again, it doesn't matter what tribulations you face, but spread the word without being afraid. Because the Holy Spirit will speak on your lips and you won't have to fear anything. Okay. So there were some who were preaching for the wrong reason. And there were some that were envious of St. Paul. And there were some that were comparing themselves to St. Paul. And they had selfish ambition, politically and otherwise. And St. Paul knew of it. And he was warning his Christian brethren in the city of Philippi. Okay, we are at 19. Can someone read 19 to 26? How are we doing on time? What time are we supposed to end? Is there an end time? No? You want to keep going? No, I don't. <laughs> Who wants to read 19 to 26? Any brave soul? Huh? Did I say that? Oh, yeah. Stephen. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always. So now, as also. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by, by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet, what shall I choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, 
having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, I remain in the flesh with no more for you. And being confident, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress of joy of faith. So he first starts talking about doing your part. You can't rely on the master. What is your responsibility? And even Jesus Christ in his preachings and dealings with the people, he allowed them to participate, at least do what they can, so that he didn't just enable people. Example at the tomb of Lazarus. Why didn't he just snap his fingers and allow the seal of the tomb to, to roll away, that big rock? What did he say to them? Remove it. Or what did he say at the miracle of feeding of the multitude? He told the disciples, seat them. Seat them in groups of 15. Here, here, start distributing. Do your part. So do your part. What is your responsibility? If you don't know what that is, then consult your father of confession or spiritual guide. Look at what your part is, and synergistically, God will do His part. And His part is way greater, by the way. Our part is just... It's five loaves. It's nothing. I once was telling our group, um, it didn't matter what this, this, what this boy had to offer at this miracle. Whether it was five loaves or two fish or a stick of gum, or beef jerky, or candy. That's all you had to do, just offer it. And God will do the rest. So what do you have to offer? Hopefully not a stench. So do your part. And then he begins to say, don't be ashamed for anything. Are you ashamed of your Christianity? Do you cower when others begin to talk about God and how there may not be God? And how that your, your, your religion is deluded? Or are you able to stand up and say, I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who is the Messiah and the Savior of the whole world. And without Jesus Christ, there's no salvation. For example, can you say that to someone? They have their convictions. Why are they so bold to give their opinion? And some of us shy away. And I'm not saying you have your opinion. You have your conviction. We have the truth with a capital T. We should be proud to present it to other people and bring them to our faith. And if you're not the greatest teacher, or let's say you don't have the gift of speech, then at least model Christianity. How do you model Christianity? In an unhypocritical way. Is that even a word? We can't be hypocrites. We can't have two faces. We can't be on two teams. We can't be two-faced. Either we're on the team of God, the Christ's team, or the other side. And we can't stay on the fence either. We have to choose. So, and especially if you are in the service, you cannot preach Christianity to a group of kids, let's say, and then on Monday you're doing something completely opposite to the teachings of Christ. Anyway, don't be ashamed of anything. Preach Christianity with courage and with all boldness. And then he says, does it really make a difference if I live or die? In this letter, that's what he's saying to them. Of course, they don't want to hear that because what do they want? They want to see him again. 
They want him to live for a long time. They feel like maybe they, they might need him. But he says, either way, it's a gain for me. If I live longer, I get to be with you. But if, I, if I'm killed, what's going to happen? I get to be with the Lord. And he says, that one is better. Number two is better. Can you say that? Can you say number two is better? Or is that a hard thing for us to say? Or you want to live longer because you want to succeed and be popular and to have a name and to drive a car and to build a castle and to have a family of 19 people. Is, <laughs> is that what you want? These are good goals, except for the 19. But if God chooses us early, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of that. Just be prepared of that. Huh? And how do you prepare now that we're at the beginning of the Coptic New Year? A life of repentance. So don't be scared of your life being cut short. God has a plan. I was talking to someone earlier today. A perfect plan that you and I may not understand, not even until our last breath. But if you believe that God's wisdom is perfect, then you should trust that. You can't just say God is perfect if you don't believe it. Sometimes we just, we have the gift of gab, but we don't believe what we say. Anyway, so he says, it's better for me to depart, but if God keeps me longer, then we'll be reunited again. Okay, uh, the last few verses, 27 to 30. Who's going to be my brave soul this time? Bishop? No, no, I had a hand over here. Go ahead. conduct yourselves as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. It doesn't matter where you're from. What territory or what city? You know how gangsters ask each other, where are you from, man? Essay, homie, where are you from? And if you say the wrong answer, you're going to get killed. If anyone asks you where you're from, say you belong to God. Your citizenship is in, is in heaven. That's what St. Paul's reminding them of. We don't belong here. Okay, so where are you from, man? Say I'm from God. But you can't just say it flippantly. If I'm from God, I have to act like it. I have to be a walking servant of God. A walking gospel, I call it. Right? That's where the hypocrisy comes in. I can't say I'm Christian if I'm not following the teachings of Christ. Or I pick and choose the teachings, the easy ones. Thou shalt not commit murder. That's an easy one. Yes? Huh? <laughs> well, how about the others? Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Or love your enemies. Or go the extra mile. Or give the other cheek. We're called a higher calling for all of these commandments. So where are you from? You're from heaven. Thus you have to walk the walk. Uh, conducting ourselves as citizens. 
standing firm against opponents with one spirit, competing for the faith. Just like we watch competitions, whether it's in the Olympics or, um, or any other forum, we are competing for salvation. Not against each other, because we're actually co-competitors. Yeah, we lift each other up to salvation, but we compete against this world. We step on this world, co-competing for the faith, not intimidated in any way by opponents. So he says, don't be afraid for anything. Don't worry even about destruction. Don't worry for anything that wants to destroy your body, because that's not what's going to last anyway. It's the soul. It's the soul that you need to invest time in. It's a beautiful epistle, one that's filled with joy, one that's filled with hope, that one that's filled with giving strength to these people, even through the tribulations that they will endure if they haven't already. And he being a great example, St. Paul, that he's have to you know, live through imprisonment and beatings and stonings and whatever else. And he's telling them, don't worry about all that. Don't worry about all that. Your reward is in heaven. And because you endure without grumbling or complaining, the others are going to see you and be attracted to your Christianity. Be attracted to your being such a good model for others. That's the way Christianity flourished, even in the age of martyrdom. You know, we're talking about commemorating the martyrs, you know, starting tonight with the Feast of the Nairus. These martyrs were put to death, and you would think it would be the end of Christianity, but the opposite happened. What was that? People flocked to Christianity because they saw people willing to march to their death for the word. Well, what kind of word is it? It must not be a false one. It must be the truth that has been handed down to us through transmission. And glory be to God forever. Amen. You guys are great readers and, and good listeners, and I appreciate you participating with me. That's just chapter one, and I gave you the context. Um, I hope you get a chance to read the, the other chapters. It's just a few more. And then I'm sure Abuna Yohanna will have others presenting the next few chapters in the next few weeks.